So our reading is from uh, Romans chapter 6, 1 to 14, uh, though I only want to think about verses 12 to 14, but uh, let's remind ourselves of uh, the first 11 verses as well. So verse 1, and Paul asks this question, what shall we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So Paul has been writing to the Christian church in Rome about the gospel. And uh, he has been showing how the the gospel works out. Uh, in the life of the Christian. Remember, I think it's quite important actually to remember that Paul's writing to Christians. It's not an evangelistic tract as such. He's not telling it, he's not evangelizing them uh, in that rudimentary sense. Uh, But he is explaining to people who are Christians already, how does the gospel work? And, And what he's shown us is that righteousness, which we lack by, uh, in our sinfulness, uh, Comes, can come from God uh, as a gift of grace. And that righteousness uh, that we need is received. How is it received? It's received by faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, if you look back to chapter 3, you'll see how he puts it. Chapter 3, verse 24. Uh, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So it's by, it's by faith that we are justified before God. That's what being righteous means. We are justified before God. God makes us just, makes us righteous. Uh, so God justifies us. Uh, And it's a great doctrine that was recovered at the Reformation, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And uh, when he's speaking about faith, it's, you know, it's not any old religious faith. 
uh, is by faith in Jesus Christ and his work. It's not that we do anything to qualify uh, for that grace because it comes to us by grace. It's a, by definition, it's a gift of God. God freely grants it. And in fact, the very ability to believe is, it, it itself comes from God. Uh, you never believe, you and I, we never believe by ourselves. Uh, we have to be changed. We have to be enabled to believe. And so uh, that grace comes to us in that way. And so, so God, is able, God then forgives our sins because of Jesus, because of his propitiatory sacrifice. And accepts us, us as righteous in his sight on the basis of Christ's sacrifice and on the basis of his imputed righteousness. So his righteousness, which rightly belongs to him, gets us uh, reckoned to us. Imputed, imputed, that's an old word, but a very important word. Um, now this is at the very heart, of course, of, of the experience of becoming a Christian, receiving the assurance of your sins forgiven. Uh, to know for sure that, you're, that God has wiped the slate clean. Um, and it's through, that's, that's why you know, it's through faith that we are justified. And we come to know that we are justified. God has wiped the slate clean. He has cleansed away all our past sins. And he accepts us. He actually accepts us as sons and daughters in his family. He receives us. He doesn't just wipe the sins away, but he he actually says, come and join me in my family. Uh, We're adopted into his family. Um, But that faith by which we are justified is also the same faith by which we are sanctified. And it's this that we have been thinking about as we have been looking at chapter 6. I hope you've realized that. When we moved into chapter 6, we started talking about something slightly different. A different aspect of our salvation. Uh, We are sanctified. We are, uh, to put it one way, set apart as holy by God. That's what sanctified means. We're set apart by God. But we're set apart in order to be devoted to him. That's what sanctification means. God has intentionally set you and me apart if we have faith in Christ. Uh, to be for him. And uh, that's what we've been looking at in the last couple of chapters because uh, the experience of saving faith is also evidence of, a, of a, a, a rich theological truth that sits behind it that is, that is this, that I have been united with Christ by that faith. Faith, as it were, joins me to Jesus, and, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a union with Christ both in his death and his resurrection. So something has happened to me that's in the likeness of his death and in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what we looked at last time. And the implication is that what Paul is working out here is that uh, my old, when I came to faith in Christ, I realized that my old self was crucified on the cross with Christ. Um, and now I have been raised to life with Christ. There's a newness of life in Christ. And we've been, we've been taking our time in this chapter to, to work through this. Um, because I actually think it's one of the most difficult 
aspects of our salvation for Christians to get their heads around. Um, I think evangelical Christians are, usually get the idea very clearly that their sins are forgiven because of Christ and his work and his saving work on the cross. And, and that aspect of it is not too difficult to understand we, uh, how forgiveness comes to us. But the question for Christians then is, well, what now? Now that I believe in Jesus Christ, what now? What difference does that make? And there are many Christians who, who think, well, well, Christ has done that work, and now he's, he's given me the faith to believe, but now I'm kind of left on my own uh, to live a holy life. And I see all the commandments in the Bible to be holy and so on, and I'm left on my own just to get on with it. So, so God has sort of said, well, there you are, off you go. And as though God has done you know, one part of the salvation, and now the rest of it is, is for me to work out somehow. And such Christians get into a terrible mess because they, they see the continuing presence of sin in their lives. You and I, we're sinners, aren't we? We still sin. We still fail. And we get into a mess because we see that and we maybe think, start thinking, Maybe I'm not saved at all because sin still appears in my life. And you get downhearted and depressed and you think, oh, what is this salvation then? How can I carry on like this? But what Paul is showing us in this chapter is not only are we justified by faith, but we are also sanctified by faith. And in fact, the key work of sanctification has already happened. And we've spent some time thinking about that. We've said, said the work of sanctification was, is, has moved us from being in sin, in a location. This is the way that Paul is thinking here. He's thinking about sin as a location. You, you were previously in sin, but now you're in the realm of grace. Or in Christ, as he puts it elsewhere. Um. And that is the key element of sanctification, that you have been set apart by being rescued, if you like, from that place called sin, and you've now been brought into the kingdom of God, the place of grace, the place uh, where Christ is. And, and so when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are you justified, you've, you've already in one sense, being sanctified. Now that sanctification still has to work itself out in your life in holiness, but actually your, your position has totally changed. You are sanctified if you're a believer. Um, and as I said, many Christians have difficulty with this to recognize just what has happened uh, uh, to them by grace through faith in Christ. And, and the problem is one that Paul puts his finger on in verse 11 that we looked at last week, where he says this, So you must also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, the problem that we face is we just don't know how to consider things properly. We don't know how to think of ourselves properly. And Paul is encouraging us to think of ourselves in a new way as Christians. This is how we are to think of ourselves. It start, that's where it starts. Consider yourself dead to sin. That's not a theoretical idea or an aspiration. It's actually a truth. 
that's already happened to you. And you just need to recognize it and think about it and remember it. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, Most Christians actually don't think through the implications of the gospel that they've received. They can accept that their sins, past sins have been forgiven. Um, But we also need to realize that we're now dead to sin, that the old realm has in fact gone. The old life is is gone. Uh, It was crucified on the cross. And so the key step to now living differently for the Christian is first of all to think about themselves differently. Uh, No longer thinking of yourself as the plaything of sin. You know, I have all these passions, you know, and I just have to keep following them. That's what the world says, follow your heart, doesn't it? They say, do do what you want. Uh, What what do you want to do with your life? Just, well, pursue that thing. Follow your heart, follow your desires. Well, most of them are sinful. (laughs) Uh, But as Christians, we don't need to think that way anymore. We don't live according to our uh, desires. Rather, we are alive to God, new creatures, new men, new women. New boys, new girls, if you're of faith in Christ. And it's really interesting that uh, verse 11 is the first uh, command that Paul has given to his readers to, first of all, think and consider yourself. Know yourself. Understand what has happened to you. In your salvation. And I think Christians tend to miss that out. And get into all kinds of of muddles. So it begins with the mind and the attitude. uh, After you've seen clearly. What you've become by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, And once that's happened. Only now does Paul begin to speak of what Christians actually do. How they actually live their lives. Um, And here he's pretty concrete. Because he now begins to speak about um, the body. How do we use our bodies? I think as Paul is a good Jew, he's not thinking merely about the physical body. He's thinking about you as a whole human being. uh, With all your faculties. So yes, your hands and your eyes and your ears and and so on. But also your mind and your heart and uh, uh, all your giftings and all your abilities and everything. The whole thing. The whole you. He's thinking about. And he gives us, uh, well, three things I'm going to say. Something to stop doing, something to do, and something to believe as you're doing those two things. (laughs) Something to stop doing, something to do, and something to believe as you're doing those two things. So something to stop doing. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Now remember, Paul is, is speaking of sin as though it's a place, uh, as though they were once in sin, uh, rather like it was a realm, a kingdom, a place with its own culture, laws, and so on. Uh, this is a realm that uh, they have been, been in before they were Christians. And now he's saying that that sin is kind of like a king, is it, which... And that king reigns. It tries to reign over that kingdom. Now how does that king called sin operate? How does sin rule someone? 
Well, it rules by trying to make you obey uh, the passions of your mortal bodies, the passions of your your life, the the self-centered passions that arise uh, within you. And uh, and those those were passions that can be translated as lusts, you know, uh, these kind of driving forces um, that are operative within you. And Paul is meaning these all-consuming passions of your life. Uh, And the thing is, the word here is used in the sense of passions where God is not the center. There are some good passions. Um, Jesus expressed his own passionate desire to share the, the, the Last Supper with his his apostles in Luke 22. Um, and uh, so some passions are good passions, but these are passions he's talking about, the passions of the world. And it's any passion that seeks to push God out of your life. And that's how the old self used to work. Uh, Paul has been explaining that. You get so. You just imagine how that happens. You get excited about something. You get excited about a person. Uh, or, uh, and it never really occurs to you. You're ex- excited by a pastime or an issue or something. Something that really takes up your, your thinking time and your, uh, your, your, your thoughts. Think, your, your loves and your, your desires and your actions. And you begin to kind of divert everything towards that passion. And at no point do you start thinking, well, what does God think about this? That's how the world works, isn't it? Um, does he have anything to say about those passions? Um, and it may be that the, the thing that is of concern is not sinful in itself. It's, it's not a bad thing to love your wife and your children. Uh, it's not a bad thing to, to love many things. Um, but if you think that you can love these things without loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, uh, first of all... Uh, then you're following one of these so-called passions. You know, the passion has taken over. And sin, the, the, passion, the, the, the sin who is the king, that is the king will try and get you to do anything, even good things, as long as you exclude God from your life. And then you're wide open to those actual acts of disobedience to all that God has commanded. And you enter into that disobedience with a passion. If you're without God. So this is what I think he's, he's getting at. These passions can take over and they seek to reign. And Paul is talking here in concrete terms. He's talking about mortal bodies. He's talking about your members or parts in verses 12 and 13. And as I said, he's not limiting it just to physical parts. He's thinking about the whole person. Uh, everything about you. All of these things can be used for instru- as instruments for sin. Um, they can be even tools or weapons for evil. And if you want to know what all of that looks like, living by your passions, you only have to read Romans chapter 1, where Paul spells it out. And uh, you might like to just turn back a few pages to, to Romans chapter 1 and see how those... Those passions work out. Um, in verse, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For his invisible power, his attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Um, but you see, sins and passions affect your, present, 
your perception of the world. You fail to see that God's attributes are present in the world. Uh, And then verse 21, uh, for although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, it begins to affect your thinking. You can't even think straight. Or verse 24, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. uh, You begin to start using your body to pursue passions. Um, Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their crimes. So this is what happens when the passions reign in human beings. You get all kinds of sins developing in society. Uh, Horrendous sins. So he's been... So this is non-Christian. I'm thinking here about how passions work in the non-Christian. So what about the Christian? Paul's addressing the Christian here. And um, what is a Christian to say to this? And the Christian is to remember that something has happened to them. Verse 11. You're now dead to sin and alive to God. And to remember that now no longer sin reigns. Sin does not reign any longer. Sin doesn't reign. Sin is not in charge. Grace is reigning in your life. This is new. So why does Paul say don't let sin, uh, don't let sin reign if sin doesn't reign? Well, let me put it this way. First of all, we can see why this makes no sense to a non-Christian. Because a non-Christian is still in sin. A non-Christian is still enslaved by sin. And so to go to somebody who's enslaved and say, stop being a slave, is pretty much impossible, isn't it? You couldn't go to a slave uh, in past centuries and say, stop being a slave. You can go, go to John Knox in that French galley as a galley slave and say, stop being a slave, because he was tied to his, his oar. On his boat. And many other cases of slavery. So it makes no sense to say, don't let sin reign. Don't let slavery reign, the slave owner reign over you when you're a slave. But he's not saying it to slaves. Paul is saying it to Christians. And he's saying, stop being a slave. Stop acting like a slave. And it makes perfect sense, therefore, to say that to someone who's been freed. Let not sin reign. It's rather like saying to a freed slave, stop acting as though you were still a slave. Did you get the idea? Stop acting as though you are still a slave. Because you're not a slave. You are, in fact, free. You know, or it's like some, saying to somebody who's been pulled half, half drowned out of the water, stop struggling, you're safe now. <laughs> you see, you, you and I, we've, as Christians, we've been released from that master and given a new life. So Christian, don't present your body, your hands, your feet, your arms, your mind, or anything else to that power called sin. Do not say to sin, reporting for duty. 
as though sin has authority over you. No, what you say is when you're tempted, you say, get lost. I won't do it. I am free. I am in Christ. I am, I, I, God has made me dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. I no longer have to listen to you when sin comes knocking at your door. So we're not to let sin reign. So that's something we are not to do. Secondly, there's something to do. And saying, so saying no to sin is necessary. And that's what the Puritans would used to call mortifying sin. But saying no is not enough. Uh, it has to go along with devoting yourself to the service of God. Devoting yourself to the service of God. And this is what Paul says in verse 13, uh, second half. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as uh, instruments for righteousness. So you're not to say to sin, reporting for duty, sir, but you are to say to God, reporting for duty, Lord. I give myself to you. You have a wonderful new master, and you're to present yourself, all of you, your head, your heart, your hands to the Lord in wholehearted devotion to him. And it means that every waking moment of your life is to be given over to serving him. You are to bring glory to your master through your whole life. All of it. And everything else that you do in life, uh, that you have to do, you do it in a way that brings glory to your master. So if you're working for a living, you do that to the glory of God. If you're loving your husband or your wife, you do that to the glory of God. If you're raising your children, you do that to the glory of God and seek to lead them to do it, to live their lives to the glory of God. See, all of these things, they fit under this overarching passion that we now have to serve the glory of God, to serve this one master, to devote our members to, uh, to this king. And how can I do that if I'm giving myself to the old master and listening to the voice that says, serve me, serve sin? You can't do it. So we have to do something positive. You see what a glorious motive and glorious passion it becomes? To be saved means that you have this new passion for the glory of God and it actually makes the Christian life visibly different from the rest of the world. And as a Christian, I don't say daft things like, if I, you know, if I keep the Ten Commandments as best I can, then I might be okay with God. It's not, that's not the, the, the way to think about this. Because often people say that without any enthusiasm for God. But actually, the zeal for the Lord comes through quite a different thing. The zeal for the Lord comes through His grace. And then you say, yeah, I want to serve him. I want to do. I want to keep the Ten Commandments because I love him. And you say to your, say to God, I want to keep the, all the commands that God has given me in the Bible because I love the Lord and I'm so thankful uh, for him and for uh, and I, I just want to do everything I can to to highlight him and his glory. Here's the last thing. 
something to believe while doing all these things. So we're not to let sin reign in our bodies. We are to present ourselves to God ready for service. But finally, in all of this, there is something to continue believing. See verse 14? For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace. Uh, Sin will have no dominion over you. It is emphatic. And it's not saying this is a future thing, but it's not true now. He is saying... It's true now, and it always will be true of you, Christians. Sin will have no dominion over you. It does not and shall not have dominion over you. It does not have lordship over you. And the great truth for the present, for every Christian, that every Christian needs to remember is, now we are under grace. Now we're under grace. You're under that new regime. You're in a new country. You have a new lord, a new master. Uh, You have a new master who looks on you as a citizen of heaven with favor. He looks upon you as the apple of his eye. He loves you. And uh, you're the very center of his loving attention. And you have, as it were, the smile of God upon you. God smiles upon you. Even Even when you sin, you fail. He still looks at you and loves you and smiles upon you. Now, there are some people who take verse 14, especially the last part, you're not under law but under grace, and they wrench it out of all context and say, oh, because we are under grace, we don't need to care much about the commandments of God. After all, it says you're not under law. Well, if you've been following Paul, you realize that that can't, doesn't make any sense. Um, that's not the direction that Paul has been going in. His argument has been that because you're under a new master, you care more about sin And you care more about the commandments. You care about doing what he says. So what does he mean by saying you're not under law? Well, it goes back to what you were before. It goes back to when you were in sin, that old country, that old master, when you're not a Christian. And that law stood against you and condemned you. And whether you felt the weight of that or not, the reality was... Uh, that you could, was that all you could hope for was the expectation of crushing judgment from God. You see, then you're under law and under its condemnation. And that's what I think Paul is getting at here. You're no longer under law. But now the Christian is no longer under that crushing judgment. That judgment has been removed through the death of Christ. And now the believing, trusting Christian in this new environment, grace, under a new master, sets about the business of presenting his or her members to, uh, to God to be instruments of righteousness. And paradoxically, though you're no longer under law, you become like, the, like someone who, that looks like you're in thankful obedience to God all the time. <laughs> you're actually obeying the law, although you're not under it. You see what I mean? See the difference? And you're fueled by that knowledge that, under the, that you're under the gracious smile of God as you seek to serve him. Now, you know, there, there are times in our lives when we fail, we sin. And sometimes we, we fail badly and we fall badly. And for that moment, we have believed the old master as we've fallen into sin. We've 
heard the temptation and we've just followed it and we've, we've believed the, the temptation of Satan. And your reaction to that, that sin and failure, like my reaction, is often going to be like a child has done something naughty and tries to hide the evidence in the bedroom or something. Uh, hoping that your mum and dad don't find out. And we're often like that with our sins before God. And we cover up. We try to pretend that it didn't happen. And then we resolve to try harder next time. Hopefully God will kind of not have noticed. And I know this from personal experience. So I'm, I'm not telling you something that I don't know anything about. But actually what Paul tells us here is to do is to, is to go back to the basics of the gospel and remember something. To remember and believe what God has done for us, that we're no longer under the authority of sin, but we are put in this state of grace. And so, we can be open with him, with our sins, and not hide them, because we're already in the state of grace. We can confess the sins that our mortal bodies have got involved in, And in grace, he he picks us up, he dusts us down, and he says, don't let sin reign. Don't let sin reign. You belong to me. So something to stop doing. Don't let sin reign. Something to do. Present your bodies, uh, your, your members to God, ready for duty. And something to believe. That we are under grace and sin has no lordship over us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ that not only are our sins forgiven, but now we've been changed and we have a new life with a new master. We no longer need to listen to the temptations of the evil one. And Father, I pray you'd help us to hear the very word of God calling us. And when we hear Satan tempting us and we feel that it's plausible to us, Lord, give us wisdom to know that such things must not be heard, indeed cast out from us. So Lord, help us, we pray, to remember these things and consider what we have become in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.